Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really exciting Figured Out Baseball podcast today, something a little bit different than we typically do. Today we're being joined by Dave Kirilov. Uh, Dave is a, a renowned hitting instructor that I thought would be interesting to bring on the podcast, so we're kind of excited to hear uh, his perspective today and just things that he teaches, why he teaches it, and I, I think you'll hear something a little different than you hear in a, in a lot of places, so hopefully it uh, does some good for a lot of people. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Coach Kirilov before we jump into questions with him. He is a Pittsburgh native, currently living in McKinney, Texas. Uh, Coach Kirilov, the reason we had him on, he's developed an innovative hitting system that incorporates neuroscience and biomechanics, focusing on a hitter's timing and spatial awareness. So kind of just some interesting things that, that we'll talk about there in a little bit. But to start him off here, uh, from 1992 until currently 2020, Coach Kirilov has uh, owned and operated his own baseball hitting school. In 1992 through 1996, he was an assistant uh, assistant coach at Point Park College, uh, a nationally ranked uh, and very very highly uh, regarded NAIA program in Pittsburgh. Uh, 1995 and 96, he worked briefly in the Pittsburgh Pirates scouting department. Uh, 2006 and 7, he worked for the summer collegiate wood bat league as the tri-state head coach. 2007, in the summer, he spent some time working with the Russian national baseball team. Kind of an interesting experience there. 2009 and through 11, he worked with USA Baseball's NTIS, which is the identification series for Team USA. He worked uh, as the North Atlantic Regional Supervisor and also a coach for that group. Um, he's got a website called League of Hitting. Uh, it's it's leagueofhitting.com. Started in 2007. He speaks nationally on hitting. Also hosts hitting events all over the country with uh, that that individuals or teams can sign up for. His son Alex Kirilov. In case the the last name is familiar to you, his son Alex Kirilov was drafted in the first round in 2016 by the Twins. Drafted 15th overall. And I know that obviously Coach Kirilov worked with him. Uh, which uh, another thing I want to I want to get into with him, but he's uh, just someone that's that's very well known and regarded in the hitting community all around the country. So, Dave Kirilov, I appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Let me just say two things, um, um, or a couple things. Number one, thank you for ha- inviting me on here. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I admire the work and the research you're doing and helping our baseball culture. My website is languageofhitting.com. What did I say? Languageofhitting.com. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. That's what I've got written here. I don't know what I said, but sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. And the and then one more thing I want to add to my bio, just biasly, is this. I, my, my hitting mentor growing up was, um, not growing up, but, but after I became a coach, was Frank Porco. And Frank Porco is known, was well-known in the, uh, the Western Pennsylvania area uh, for being an elite uh, hitting coach that specialized in hitting mechanics. And one of his prized uh, pupils that used to come in I used to watch and I used to learn while he was teaching him was uh, uh, Upper St. Clair's Sean Casey and now MLB Network uh, analyst Sean Casey. So I used to watch Sean Casey get hitting lessons from my mentor, Frank Porco, who I, I admire a lot and hold dear to my heart. That's a great mentor and, a, and a, Sean Casey's a great name to bring up. And obviously your son as well. Um, Alex Kirilov, for those that aren't familiar, Alex is a is a guy that just reports, you know, from high school all the way through now. He'll he'll he's likely to make his big league debut in 2021. Probably would have made it in 2020 had we had a, a normal 
uh, season with normal minor leagues and in a full 162 game schedule. But uh, you know, but it is what it is. I'm sure he'll make his debut sooner than later. Uh, but but Dave, one of the first things I'd like to ask you just to get into this is just if you would speak from a very base level as far as just what your hitting philosophy is at its core and how you arrived at that. I, I read a little bit about it, but I, I'd like you to talk about it. You know, what you're teaching now, what's the core of, of what you teach hitting, and how did you arrive there? Okay. Hey, good question. Uh, Jeff, I guess it all begins for me as a player. Um, growing up in the 80s, um, there weren't many uh, fields that had, number one, L screens around them, and there weren't many fields that even had uh, batting cages, you know, and uh, to get batting practice was, was kind of challenging and difficult, you know, you tried different things, but it came from, I guess, different drills that I would do off the batting tee, uh, slamming my bat into a tire, and occasionally getting batting practice, and then when I would arrive to the game, you know, I guess in the 80s, you know, the instruction I had was to try allow, you know, uh, the Art of Hitting 300 or the Ted Williams book, the, the Science of Hitting, I relied on those, and just very I guess I would say pol- politely saying um, that uh, I think those philosophies, I guess, did more damage to my natural hitting uh, style than actually help. Did it help? Did I learn some things? Yeah, obviously I did. But it, it was damaging to what I was already doing natural. So when I would get to games, I would do something completely different. And my my my, my hitting coach was my mom, so I would tell her to watch me what I'm doing, and uh, she would. Um, Gave me some advice saying, Dave, you weren't, you're not doing anything those books tell you to do, but you're still hitting good. So I knew what I was really relying upon, I guess, at the very essence was me paying attention to the ball and reacting to the ball. Uh, fast forward to what I'm doing today, and it's that. And it's the most natural way to teach hitting. And where as I'm teaching hitting from not the perspective as a hitting coach is, where I'm standing outside and watching you. I'm trying to put myself back into the home plate, the batter's box with you, and I'm trying to identify what are you, what are you, I guess, facing, what are you experiencing while you're in a batter's box from the pitcher, uh, from the pitcher, right? what, what pitch is he throwing to you, you follow me? How are you relating back to the ball? And so now, as a hitting coach, when I'm doing, when I'm working with players, and I, I started this about 10 years ago. I felt inspired. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me to do this. He said, Dave, watch the hitter's eyes. You want to understand what the hitter's thinking about, what he's experiencing? Watch the hitter's eyes because the eyes are a tunnel to the brain. If I want to understand the hitter, i got to understand what he's thinking. And to take you, I'm sorry, this is superficial, but um, i got to understand how is that hitter I guess perceiving the ball that I'm throwing, and when I'm when I'm throwing batting practice to players, sometimes I'm I'm staring at the hitter's dominant eye, and by staring at the dominant eye, I can see where he's picking up the flight path of the ball, you know. And to, that's to confirm this whole idea about what I'm teaching, I guess on the soft side, I know you said soft, but I just love talking about it. Is, is two things. Two, let me give you two illustrations, right? Um. If you haven't had batting practice, and this is typical when I was growing up, sometimes you wouldn't get batting practice for three, four months between the off season. Maybe five months you go off, you know, no extra work. You know, it depends on the community you lived in, how much, how much you put an emphasis in extra baseball training. You know, our high school team, I, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, uh, they didn't still practice till March. So you got, you know, almost from fall to, to March before any batting practice. 
one of the first things the player I experienced that I can still remember vividly for me was my timing was off when the ball is coming out and and then but the secondly is is controlling the ball space how it moves from one space to the next space my spatial awareness or really what player, players hitters experiences spatial alertness is you have to alertly react to different spaces so my spatial alertness was off and that's what I had to get back before I could start hitting and uh, one quick story I, this would really seal it in for me after I spent you know a better part of a decade you know teaching mechanics teaching what was I guess was good for coaches to teach in, in our community what was what was supposed to be taught is hitting mechanics after doing that for a decade and realizing you know what I mean, I was I had a, a college team I was coaching in the summer what bad team and uh, we had a great batting practice before one of our games everyone was hitting line drives and missiles I'm throwing really good heart for BP. I get to the game and say we're going to have a great great game today and you know my guys got I took the field and you know what just typical pop ups ground outs and strikeouts I go to coaster base and I'm, I'm noticing what's happening. I go back in the dugout and I notice that the other teams doing the same thing, Jeff. They're just hitting pop-ups and ground outs and strikeouts. No one's really hitting good. And I had an epiphany that day that, that I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Dave, what is a pitching coach trying to do to your hitters? He's trying to get, he's telling the pitcher to get your hitters out. The pitcher has two weapons to get your hitters out, Jeff. And it's this. Mess up the batter's timing through a fast or slow. Mess up the batter's spatial alertness through high, through low, through in and out. And that's it. So I, I, I said to myself, well, wait a minute. If that's all the pitcher's doing, if I can teach my hitters to learn how to master hitting timing and master spatial alertness or awareness, then in theory, how can the hit pitcher ever get them out? Can you think of any other weapons a pitcher has to get the batter out, Jeff? That's it. Messing up. I mean, primarily timing, but you're right. Sp- the spatial awareness. I mean, moving the ball in and out, up and down, as well as changing speed. That's how you get people out. Yes. So that's where it all derived from. And then from years of studying this, going, I mean, I, even to this day, we just had a pre-recording discussion how it's when, you, when you're passionate about what you're doing, when you're a researcher or technician, you're always learning every time it goes to the batting cage. It's always a learning experience. You know, there's something new, and you're always testing ideas. Well, could it, can I make it better than it already is? So that's what I constantly do, and it's fun. And sometimes my, in the early going, a lot of these experiments were happening with players I had that were coming to our facility, but a, a big experiment was with my own son trying different things. I, and it's from different, I mean, from timing to working on different hitting models, from working on different tempos. You know, my son had a, a breakout, I guess, uh, experience when he was 11 years old. And this is the time in baseball when, you know, we're all influenced by what's going on in the major community. But a lot of players were using leg lift. And my son was not. He would just get the toe down and just swing it. Get the toe down, you know, early and swing. It's just how he, you know, developed as a hitter. But we tried this out, and that that I guess afternoon, when he was 11 years old, we're hitting on a field that was like 300 feet, and he was already hitting balls 275. So by changing that model, I mean about 45 minutes, and I was ready to quit and give up. My son says, "Pop, let's keep going and do a couple more." He went from 275 to 305 just by changing 
his hitting model. And I guess maybe his even hitting tempo too. So it's interesting. It wasn't more push-ups. wasn't anything else. So this is another, I guess, uh, you know, point in the bag where you know, all these things factor into um, hitting development. There's a, a lot of things to uncover there, which is good, which is good, but a lot to a lot to talk about. Um, the first thing I'd like to to discuss there that you got into is the timing part of hitting. You know, I think that uh, you know every every pitcher and pitching coach out there are would agree with you that half of the way a big part of the way you get people out, you mess up their hitter's timing, and you make the hitter make a mistake basically and get himself out. Um, how as a hitting coach is timing something that you can teach a hitter to master? What's uh, Maybe there are some things you don't want to give away necessarily, but just as much as you can talk about it, Dave, how do you, how do you teach a hitter? How do, you, how do you put the focus on timing when you're training hitters? Well, it begins with this idea. Let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced, maybe you said it yourself. Uh, I don't think I ever said this, but have you heard a coach say, listen, uh, Jeff, go to home plate. Don't think. Just see it and hit it. Have you heard that before? Yes, I've said that before. <laughs> okay. All right, so basically, I tell players, if you ever have a coach tell you that, turn around and look at them and say, Coach, let me get this right. You want me to go to home plate, and you you don't, you don't want me to focus anymore because how can I focus without thinking? Wait, Coach, you want me to go to home plate, but you're telling me it's not to concentrate anymore because if I stop concentrating, I, I need to think in order to concentrate. See the action we're on there? How, how can that happen? Right? So it goes in the timing, the first, I guess, place that I, I, re- I really realize, and it's almost like, what is the most, what is the biggest common mistake hitters make at home plate? What is the biggest obstacle? It's, it's this. You don't time your thoughts. Your thoughts aren't in order. Right? Neuroscientists will tell us this. In order to move, and I've read a great, uh, great uh, book. Um, uh, hold on, the name is something slipped away from me. Was um, the mind? But it'll come back to me. But anyways, um, that the neuroscient- neuroscientists will tell us this: that in order to move, one must think. You, we can't move our bodies unless we think. More than you can understand that. It, it, that's the truth. So. I mean, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that you're a neuroscientist more than I believe Yogi Berra, which is, I don't think. Like, no, Yogi, I'm going to believe a neuroscientist says you are thinking. But, so, but what are you thinking about? You know, in order to have a, be conscious, right? Jeff, the word conscious in Latin means knowledge. You understand what's going on. And that's, that's the deeper side to all this. It's like, it, when I explain to somebody the, the principles of, of timing and spatial alertness, I, I say this, like, you know, you can be born with this. Right, your brain just does it. I have knowledge, but sometimes you just can't put in the words. You're either born with this, or sometimes you bump into these experiences, like J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner. They were not—I mean, they were going the wrong. They were better than most players in the country, but they weren't exceptionally minor league ball players. But something finally clicked. They bumped into something, and guess what? That can—they could be gone, taken away, or they're not misunderstood again. But I think the best and most effective way to understand this principle of timing and spatial alertness. Is to be taught it. I mean, you can have a combination of being born with it. Like I think my son, 
has a combination of, of born with great spatial alertness, right? But the other factor is he's taught. So I think when, when, when you're actually taught these principles, when you foul a ball off behind home plate, it goes behind a concession stand somewhere, right? And it's right down the middle. And you step back, and everyone else thinks in the ballpark, hey, he's right on that pitch. You step out of the batter's box, you say, you know what? I'm not on that pitch. I'm in trouble. How did I miss that cookie that was right down the middle? Have you ever been in that situation, Jeff? Too many times. <laughs> yes. So you know what I'm talking about. You're thinking, oh, I'm not on it. You better change something. So when you have knowledge, what you can change, what, what you change on one place, your mechanics are mechanics, right? But I think more importantly, your mechanics derive from what is happening before your mechanics move. And it goes back to your, your thought, your timing your thoughts. You know what I mean? And timing your thoughts to like, the, big, the biggest thing is, is timing your brain to move your eyes, to get the eyes in position, to see the ball early in the flight path. You know what I mean? And, and my studies tell me this, that I, my eyes need to be in position to see the ball early in the flight path one hundredth of a second before the ball is visible. That's what my studies say. Deeper than that is, is the argument, Jeff, what side are you on? Are you on the side that says, hey, batter, I want to teach you how to see the ball out of the pitcher's hand. Or, are you, Jeff, are you on the side that says, no, we don't see the ball in the pitcher's hand. We see the ball about a quarter of the way in. After the ball is released, we see the pitch, I guess, the ball five, four, five, six feet out front. What side do you want? I think that you probably, I would believe that you, do, you don't see it immediately out of the pitcher's hand, but I also, as a coach, have, have taught guys to... I guess get their eyes in the window where the ball is going to be released and try to try to see it as early as possible. Try to see it out of out of the pitcher's hand. Um, try to see it right at release. Back in the eighties, maybe you were still teaching us. Back in the eighties, they told us this: that if you can, when a pitcher comes around, if you can see the, the pitcher's wrist and it's fat, you got a fastball coming. If you see the pitcher come around and you see a, a slender wrist, uh, that's going to be a curveball. So when a coach told us that, I looked down the bench, looked side to side. I'm thinking, I can't see that. Can anybody else see that? Oh, then nod your head. Yeah, I can see that, Dave. I, I can see it. What's wrong with you? You can't see that. But I'm a pretty good hitter, but I can't see the wrist. And it was only about maybe 10, 15 years later that sports science came out and documented this on Fox Sports Science that said, no, hitters, when we get into the labs, when we put on the eye goggles and, and the sensors to the iris and the, eye, and the, and the pupils, Hitters are not picking the ball up out of the, out of the hand. They're, they're picking the ball up a quarter of the way in. And finally, it's like, duh, that's what I've been saying for years. And when I talk to other former major league players, um, managers, Dave, yeah, I never saw the ball in the pitcher's hand. So basically, you, you can say there's an illusion taking place. And now there's depth perception. So that's, that's something we time. I mean, we can watch the hitter's eyes on video from close-up cameras from behind the pitcher's back. And we can see the eyes move over to the pitcher's window. But, Jeff, what that video doesn't show us is that there's a change in depth perception from pitcher to where the ball will be when I see it in its flight path. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's almost like having a camera. Um, so my camera zoomed out on the pitcher. And at some point, i got to zoom in in towards toward where the ball is going to be. There's a change in flight path and depth. That, that, Jeff, is not easy to teach. And that is the gold I find behind uh, the true gold behind hitting. 
is is find that ball or in the flight path at that space. And that's part of your part of what you teach, part of what you work with on guys is being able to zoom out or, or go from sort of a zoomed out to a zoomed in perspective with with your eyes, with your focus, to be able to see the ball as early as possible. Jeff, I was about to do, make a little video for social media again, just depicting that this is probably the hardest aspect of hitting that I teach. It's the most difficult, it's the most challenging, and there's no books on this. There's no, there's no, I can't find any other research on my, on my presence about this. I mean, all the eye research, no, I talked to some of the biggest eye specialists in the country, and they don't, they don't even mention the subject about how they're changing the depth perception. Um, this is those cicades and everything else. So, but what factors in all this, it's very interesting to me. It's fascinating. You know, I started doing this, I guess, about, about, about a year ago. And I go around the country and I visit, uh, different, uh, I mean, uh, places. I visit, you know, I do private sessions with people. I do small group sessions with people. I work with coaches, college coaches, and I work with their sons. Uh, you know, uh, people that are in the industry, they'll, they'll come in, uh, to work with their sons, or just pitching gurus, I'd come in to work with their sons or hitting, you know. And this is what I've learned in my early going. When when we're taking BP, and I I like to talk about this next subject is, is short screens uh, drills. If we can get to this, in when I throw BP, and I, and I try to make an assessment on a hitter, Jeff, I don't usually do short screens. We spend about maybe maybe eight to ten balls on a batting tee. But the brunt of my, the, the hitting session is, is this, me standing about 50 feet away from the, from the batter, and I throw real batting practice. I go through a full windup, and I'm not, I'm not talking about cheating, stepping in, I throw right-handed. Cheating in, it's just unnatural for, for a batter to see this. When a coach takes to his BP, he takes his right foot, and he sort of takes a jab step to home plate. That is not natural to what the composition a batter is going to see when he sees uh, um, the pitcher wind up in the game. So I throw real BP. So when I'm throwing BP to hitters to help them along the way, and I'm going, just, going, just tying into vision, I'll watch them, and I want to see the outcomes. I'm watching your eyes and looking at the outcomes. If I'm, put, if I'm putting balls right down the middle of the plate, Jeff, what kind of outcome? I'm putting room service. What outcome do you think the hitter should have? And, and this is a predictable setting. They know my delivery. They know my speed. Where should the ball go? What's the outcome, Jeff? If you're putting the ball down the middle, the ball better be going between left center and right center gap and, and being hit pretty hard quite often, right? Yeah. How about this? If it's right down the middle, wouldn't you expect that all all variables are, are, are set in alignment, that ball should be hit right back at the center field? In a perfect world, field. yes. I would agree, yeah. Right? Okay, so then you can splinter off. But inside, but outside, now we're trying to play in the gaps, right? So I'm looking for these outcomes, and I, I learned this. Uh, I throw five pitches, and I stop. I used to be the coach that would throw five, ten, fifteen pitches, come on. Let me get one more good one in and try to keep going. I learned, no, do five pitches and stop, because I know this, that more than we give, we give it credit to, that player home plate, he may not be physically tired of hitting, but his brain is physically tired of thinking. There's so much thought going into hitting that we don't even measure and consider it, and that's why five pitches and stop. Because I want that hitter to come in with a fresh mind. It's like going to running sprints. I mean, you do you do um, you know fifty yard sprints. Uh, you run fifty. You got 20, 10 seconds. Run another fifty. Ten, you can be tired. So that's what happened to hitters. So I watch the outcomes. 
And if um, if the player is squaring the ball up, right, on his sweet spot in the back consistently, then I know his problem isn't tempo. It's something else. It could be his vision, right? If a hitter who, high school, college, it doesn't matter, youth, I mean, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, right, I do the same system with everybody. If a hitter is not putting the barrel on the ball, the sweet spot on the ball, it doesn't sound good. If you can hear that little dead sound when he hits it down by the trademark and he tips it, it's not it. The first place I check is his tempo. What is the hitter's tempo? What, what tempo is he currently hitting out of, right? Is he hitting out of a, a sudden tempo? Is he hitting out of a, a slower pace tempo, right? And, and Jeff, you ready for this? Ready. Jeff, you there? Ready? Yeah, yeah I, thought, I, thought, I don't know if that was rhetorical or not. I'm ready. When when he's not squaring the balls up, that's about maybe about, we'll go about 15, 20 pitches, 25 pitches. He, I, really, I really want to test to make sure it's right and see what he's doing. If he's not squaring it up, I'll walk down to timeout and explain the whole theory of tempo and what I wanted him to do. And uh, it's basically... 99% right maybe 95% right there's only a few cases that didn't work where instantly the player started when I changed his tempo he instantly started to hit hit right hit better you know what I mean and I walked down and I asked the player what do you realize what did you realize after that five pitches what did you realize was it a great round good round was it decent and that was off that round so why do you think it was better I could see the ball better you're right. You're darn right. And all you did was change your tempo. But why does that work, Jeff? Why, why, here, let me give an example. You were in Pittsburgh. You were back in the early 2000s. Um, someone named Jose Batista. Oh, yeah. Playing for the Pirates. Right? And um, I'll give you... I'll, I'll, let me just give you some background information. Right? So another player in the team was um, uh, Craig Wilson. And Craig Wilson used to come and work do some things at our, our baseball facility and it would help out some camps. Great person, loved talking, hitting with him. He tells a story that you know, he was a good player for the Pirates, up and down uh, with his career, hitting-wise. I thought you know, it well, but people don't know the background story. I don't think Craig would mind me telling you this. The Pirates told him, Craig, we want you to hit in this particular style. The style was to get your toe down early and hit. The style was derived from Rudy Amarillo, and the Texas Rangers. If you study hitting closely, this came out in the early late two, late 1990s, early 2000s. Rudy Amarillo, to my surprise, had the entire Texas Ranger team buying into the system. I'm like, this can't, this isn't going to work. Well, guess what? It did work, right? And a lot of college coaches took wildfire to this and they started implementing it, you know. And so, can it work for some people? Yes. With other people, not really. And I'll tell you why. So Craig Wilson was told to hit this way. And if you don't hit this way, you're on the next plane going to Nashville, Tennessee, and playing for a AAA affiliate. So guess what? Craig had to learn how to hit that way. Guess who else was on that team learning that style? Someone named Jose Batista. Did Jose Batista flourish when he was a Pirates? No. no. <laughs> nope, nope, He nope. was hitting with get your toe down early. Now, does the style work for some people? Yes. It works for Ian Kinsler and other people like that. Yes. Was Pudge Rodriguez hitting that way? Uh, a little bit, but he went back to the Lakeland. You know what I mean? 
so um, so speed up the story here uh, Jose Batista is traded where did he go to do you remember was it Toronto and what happened there well, I know that he he hits he hits much differently now. He's he's got he's got the big leg lift. I'm sure other things happen as well, but that was one of the things I think most people would see. Well, yeah, I'm just an outsider like you, but we're, we're you know we could be called research and scientists because you know what we're still looking, and observing, and 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 watching what what outcomes are, are are being presented. So when he first got to when Jose Batista first got to um, um, Toronto, he still had he still he started a little bit late kick. Right, so it was slower and earlier, and with that leg kick, it, it started soft, right? But with that leg kick, he's changed his tempo. So he had a, a sudden tempo getting ready to hit, and then he worked himself into a slower tempo, and eventually he got to a higher leg lift tempo, and he really turned it on, right? So my my point of telling you that is because what Jose Batista did was he changed his hitting model number one, and he changed his hitting tempo. Your tempo affects directly your vision. And uh, when, when things change in your vision for the better, and, and he, he's documented saying this, I can see the ball better now. I can see the ball better. I got a saying, Jeff, and it's this. The better I see the ball, the more body put into the ball. I don't need to overthink that part. I will get more hips. I will get more shoulders. I will get more power just because I see the ball better. Now, open that up. What does it mean to you, Jeff, to see the ball better? Oh, that's a tough one to define. I mean, I guess to see the ball better means that you're going to see it earlier. You recognize the pitch, recognize the, the, the speed of it, recognize the location, the type of pitch. Just you, you I guess... Um, See where the ball's going to be and when a little bit better. Mm-hmm. All of that, yeah, and, and, and it's this too. It's this. The seeing the ball better translates into this factor. My my eyes pick up the signal about the ball. What are my eyes picking up about the ball? Let's make it simplify it. My eyes are getting the message. What is the ball speed and what is the ball space? Two S words. I tell players. The brain, the eyes pick up the message about speed and space. Instantaneously, the eyes send the message to the brain. The brain correlates all this and then sends in, uh, uh, another message down to, to the, the central nervous system, through the spinal cord, to the limbs, right? And then it creates the reaction, right? So seeing the ball entails all of that now, that the faster I can collect the data about the ball, that my brain is waiting for, okay? Now, it goes back to the thought process. I'm really convinced, when I watch hitters' eyes, Jeff, that too many hitters at all levels, including the major league level, right? And this is where it's even more important, right? Because, you know, you don't much room to make a mistake at the major league level. Hitters don't think about the ball. You ready? Ready. Until they see the ball. I'll put your mind about that. Think about that for a second. Haters don't think about the ball until they see the ball. Makes sense. What do you think about? Well, okay. What, what, now, here, let me, let me bring this experience to you, right? We, 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 I just think our culture 
overanalyzes things to the simple point that like, we forget that, hey, you want to understand a hitter, put yourself back in the batter's box and experience what that hitter is dealing with. You know, when that ball is coming in, I don't care about my elbow. I don't care about my back knee. I don't care about what my weight distribution. All I care about is what is that ball's speed and what is the ball's space? Because that's what I'm reacting to. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Um, where am I going with this? So, so as a hitter, um, I got to get the information fast in my brain. I got to, I guess, uh, teach hitters or hitting coach. I got to teach hitters how to think about the ball. And, 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 and it, it goes back to, like, it's just similar to this. Um, a tennis player. You've seen tennis. Do you play tennis, Jeff? I have. I have, yeah, just messing around, but yeah. Okay. Ever play, ever play with somebody like, hey, this guy, this guy's got a good serve, right? Maybe you've seen on TV. So your, your opponent tosses the ball into the air, right? And he's just about to hit the ball. And you know you want to be in position to make the reaction. So right as he's hitting the ball, you're landing on the ground. You know what I mean? It's you land and then you get your, your body position to see what the ball is going to do, right? It's, a lot, it's, it's just similar to what infielders do, right? Right. They go through a little creep step and right before the ball is going to be hit, they land their feet, they're in position, and their brain is engaged with where the ball is going to be hit. You follow me? Same yeah. as outfielders. When you're in that perspective as, a, as an athlete, you're thinking about the ball and all the outcomes it can have. It can have. You know what I mean? And I, how about this? Have you watched an infielder where they'll land prematurely? They land on the ground and the ball hasn't been pitched yet. And they're out of sequence with the rhythm of how the ball is going to come off the bat. You know what I mean? And that's what I see too many times with hitters is that their their brain is out of sequence. They they're not thinking about the ball until they see it. Now, once they see it, the flight path is begin now, maybe at the halfway point. They're like they're far from seeing the ball quarter way in, and now they're picking the ball like at the halfway point between the pitcher and the batter. Now what does that do to the brain, Jeff? When they pick up the ball at the halfway point. Tell me. That's really late to get all that information to make any sort of a decision to try to swing and, and square the ball up. Exactly. So the brain says, "Oh my gosh, Jeff, what are you doing? I finally, I, I got finally got the message right." The brain is in panic mode. The brain is in desperation mode. Right. So I got to do something to get the bat down there. Oh. I'll fly open with my shoulders. Oh, I'll turn my hips too soon. I'll bail out. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll cast my hands out because I got to get this bat down there, right? And these are all mechanical flaws that the coaches pick on, right? But it all began before the ball was even thrown. They're not even thinking about the ball before they see it. You know what I mean? And that 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 tells me is just just this, this discussion is. You know, we watch so many clips on, on, on social media of hitters, right? Hey, check out my son. Can I get some free tips? What does everybody think when they're in these community forums, you know? And they show the hitter a side view, right? Well, what is the hitter reacting to? What is the composition of the ball? Is it, is it soft toss? Is it someone tooling from a short screen? Is it a machine? We, we can't really tell. I mean, if you watch enough of it, you can sort of depict from your own, like, you know, I guess, I guess, uh, understanding what's going on, but 
we don't know. And then sometimes we just assess things. And then the same thing with, with games. I think our community is is looking at the hitter's mechanics too much and not considering, well, this is what he's reacting to. A guy from the stretch position, a guy on base, a pitcher with a long, uh, lengthy delivery, a, a pitcher with a, a short arm action delivery. Uh, I learned this, Jeff, when my son was 15 years old. He's playing for a, uh, I'll give a little props to the uh, Allegheny Pirates scout team and Fred Albert, all right? And uh, I'm not coaching team, at least the one season I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, I'm in center field with my camera, right? And I've made it a practice, always made it a practice, always, when my son was batting to include the pitcher with my son's uh, batting at bat because I knew it was important, right? So, so he's 15 years old and he's having some trouble. Right, and I could put my fingers on thinking, you know, since my sense timing's right, I'm doing things right, his timing is adrenaline right, and that's another something very important, timing or adrenaline. That was right. And uh he he had an off off double header. I mean and there was points there was portions of the game where I had on film he's a, my son's a lefty batter, he's fouling balls off to the third base side, one of one after another after another, falling off into the third base dugout, like what's going on? I come home and I realize this. I, I look at the video, put on my, my computer, and look at the video, I'm watching a pitcher. I said, you know what? That's a pitcher that's not common. That's an uncommon delivery. He had, he had two pitchers like this in both doubleheaders, in the doubleheader. The pitcher had a delivery like Clayton Kirkshaw, but they delayed the delivery. You follow me? It wasn't normal. So now when, I, when my son was growing up and it, it, that, that affects your timing and it goes back to well, how you make your assessment you know was it the machine but you understand you're, you're, the player you're assessing never really hits balls out of this machine it's awkward for him it's a new composition he's got a brain got to coordinate how the ball is coming out you know what I mean and so it, it affects even like when you're, you're I guess assessing players in games and then it came to a point where learning these different deliveries from pitchers that and my son was a ninth grader um and he was playing at Plum High School, and we were getting ready for the season. And the season had started, and he says, Pop, this BP's not helping me. Your BP doesn't help me. And I, and I, I take it, I got to take it serious when a player says, hey, your BP is not really helping me in the game. Right? So I said, I knew what he was, I knew what he was talking about immediately. He said, son, I got gotcha. you. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And from that point on, I, started, I stopped giving him that fake BP where I would take a little jab step and, you know, throw like a BP pitcher. And I threw more as, as I could from like 50 feet away because I want to try to at least resemble some kind of velocity he's going to see, right? But I threw from full windup, right? And and then I learned how to throw based on those, those pitchers I told you. He had, he had a hard time with pitchers who had delay in their delivery. So I would mimic this type of pitching style, right? I would mimic like a Clayton Kershaw, you know, and so he would learn to, to adapt to that. So it came to a part where our training, and I think it's important for all players to get this kind of training, is this. There were five pitching models. Models. Not like the, the giant equator where I'm going to try to mess up your timing. I'm still throwing from the same pitching model, but I do things to pause and stop. No, I'm talking about pitching models. We had a Clayton Kershaw. We had a Zach Greinke. We had a Tim Lincecum. We had a, a short arm thrower. We had a guy throwing it across his body, side arm. And then we had, you know, a pitch thrown from this stretch position. 
And so he would practice these different models, usually towards the end of our, our session. And you know what's kind of funny? You know what's coincidental, Jeff? What's that? <laughs> Is this. When my son got called up to the big leagues um, this this year, no, I'm sorry, this past year, no, no, we were still in this year, 2020, yeah, for the playoffs, and the Twins are playing the uh, the Astros, right? I told you one of the, the models that I, I would work on was the Zach Greinke model. Alex's first game he, he was there for, guess who was on the mound? Greinke. Zach Greinke. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the mound. Greinke was on the mound. I said, oh, my gosh. I texted my son. I said, hey, you got experience facing Zach Greinke. This should be a problem for you. You know what I mean? He's already, you've already seen him a bunch of times. And Zach Greinke model was that Zach Greinke is slow in his delivery. but very methodical, right? He lifts his leg up slow. He pauses. He comes down this the mound very slow. And at the last second, boom, he explodes on you. So that's what I would copy. You know what I mean? And so, but on a side note, what helped Alex to learn how to time all these pitching varieties and models was something I called the common denominator, right? Every pitcher has a common denominator. The common denominator is a signal, it's an indicator to get your eyes ready to pick up the ball or in the flight path. It's, it's gold, right? The person who gave it the, the name, the common denominator, is another Western Pennsylvania player named Kevin Smith, K-E-V-A-N Smith. Um, he, he came in for, for workouts with us when he was like 13 years old. Then we had a little like separation and came back and became Alex's hitting buddy. Kevin Smith was a seventh round draft pick from the, out of the University of Pittsburgh, Chicago White Sox. Played for the White Sox organization for years. And then went, spent a year, uh, in, in the Los Angeles Angels, uh, uh, organization playing for the big league team. And this past year, 2020, he was part of the, um, the Rays organization and uh, part of the race playoffs. So he was the one who gave me the name, the common denominator. So, but that, that's it in a little nutshell how important, I guess, timing is and deliveries. And it's very, it's, it's large. To teach it, listen, Jeff, to teach timing, it's, it's probably one of the most challenging, I guess, aspects to teach hitters. And very few people try to take on the challenge, and including our data research um, community. They can't <clears throat> measure it. There's no way to calibrate it to timing. Um, but, uh, and the people who do try to teach timing is very superficial. What do you mean by, what do you mean it's superficial when they, people that do try to teach it? When, when, Jeff, uh, when you're batting, when a pitcher lifts his leg, you lift your leg. Uh, when a pitcher takes his hand out of the glove, you get your toe down. Um, when a pitcher does this, you do that. Your, your counter. I'm sure that, that that's very, I mean, that's a very, I guess, when I started in the, in the teaching timing, that's where I was. But after teaching it for a part of over a decade now, I mean, it's gone so deep. And, and now, basically, I'm telling you, you're, you're timing your thoughts. You have to think more than you realize. Even, even a guy says, it's like, well, I'm not thinking, I just see I hit it. Yeah, I understand that, right? But if you can really unfold that player, you are thinking. And you are doing what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? And it would help you to understand it and have knowledge about it. So when, when you get that pitcher's pitch right down the middle and you just fouled it off, you, you have knowledge. You come right back and say, okay, I can make this fine adjustment with my, with my eyes, my thoughts. 
I want to talk a little bit, um, Dave, about about timing, and uh, and I think what a lot of what a lot of hitting coaches would call just timing mechanisms. So, for you mentioned a couple of them, but I just want to I want to ask you about them a little bit, and just kind of get your perspective. So, you mentioned that Alex went to a leg lift at age eleven. You've mentioned that a lot of a lot of coaches out there want hitters to get their foot down, get their toe down as basically the pitcher's um, when the pitcher's foot hits the ground, hitter's foot hits the ground, right? That's what a lot of a lot of coaches are out there uh, teaching, and I and I see that there are. Um, I, I've got this thing. It's like a I don't know what you call, it, but a sort of a pyramid of of natural hitters' timing instincts that, that that I found somewhere when I was doing research on you. That that you I assume you came up with this or you got it from somebody, but you've but there are a bunch of different ways to do things. There's leg lift, there's toe tapper, there's a you know foot floater, no stride, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, a lot of different things a hitter can do that would sort of be his timing mechanism. And I know that the reason that a lot of coaches don't teach leg lift at a at a younger age is because I, I think a lot of I know I've heard a lot of hitting coaches say in the past that basically a, a leg lift makes the timing more complex you've got to be more precise more exact with your timing if you are a leg lift hitter um, meaning that if basically if you don't practice it enough you know pro guys can do it and, I, and I've heard and I'm just kind of saying what I've heard coaches say in the past um, Pro guys can can have a leg lift because they just they hit a lot more. They practice a lot more. Their timing is is better, so they can do that. If you do, uh, if you're a leg lift hitter at age, you know, 13, 14, 15, it's a lot more difficult to do. It's a lot more difficult to have timing because it's a lot more difficult to be precise with that timing. If your foot is down, if you're a leg lift type of hitter and your foot's down a little early or a little late, it's more difficult to. To, to make adjustments, basically, and to hit the ball hard, uh, you know, like you said before, it, it creates some mechanical flaws uh, for hitters that don't practice it enough. Uh, how would you react to people that that say that that say that um, that these different mechanisms that hitters have, or that the easiest one, the, the easiest way, the simplest way to create timing is just to get that foot down early, get your toe down early, uh, and and sort of adjust from there, as opposed to someone that teaches a leg lift. Um, is there, do you think that there's any truth to, I guess, the leg lift being just more complex and, and you need more practice, you need more reps with it to really get it down? Or do you, have you found that it's more, um, individualized? Like for a person, A, a leg lift is very natural for them. And if they just do it, that's the ease, that's, it's going to work for them almost right away. Or, or is it something that takes a, a whole lot of practice to get to? I'm just kind of curious about these, the different things that a hitter can do basically with their lead foot and how that affects their timing and, and if there are some that are more difficult than others or that take more practice or if some are just kind of natural for each hitter. <laughs> That's a long question, big guy. That's a long question, but I'm going to answer it for you. Ready? Okay. Um, athletic disposition. Athletic disposition are all created the same. No, definitely not. Right. So there. So behind the athletic disposition, there's the um, the athletic, uh, the natural athletic wiring that that person's going to move from. Right. Now here's here's the the I guess the rich. I guess study research part where the coach is a very viable, very important, where the coach should have more knowledge 
been the hitter about different, I guess, um, possibilities or uh, ways of doing it. Meaning this, Jack, if, if, I, if I can understand, like when I study hitting, I come up with 12 different hitting models. How a hitter, I see common models that hitters usually hit from, right? And then I see two different tempos where they can hit from also. So basically it's 24 variations. And then I can, then I, then I can couple those variations with, I can multiply by, okay, there's eight ways that players have finishes the bat. Then I can multiply that by, hey, there's Jeff, I've learned there's eight different ways how a, pit, a batter will look at the pitcher while he's throwing the ball. Eight different ways. You follow me? And then I couple that with, okay, what is your dominant eye? Right? Now, dominant eye for, for me is important. For a lot of other vision people out there, they think, come on, no. We studied that your dominant eye doesn't really matter. Um, but for me, in my own experiences, and as a, my own hitter, yeah, it does. If I know what my dominant eye is doing, and I, I can, my brain can connect and think directly on that eye, I believe I can pick up information faster. That's just my experience, right? And when I teach it, I'm teaching the player. That's one of the, that's one of the questions that I always ask players, especially with what hand you're right with. I'll ask them that question because I know I'm going to be teaching. I want you to think about your dominant eye. I want you to think about your movement patterns, your dominant eyes making, right? How you got to transition from pitcher to the ball. Okay, now let's get to the the, the scope of all of this, right? It's like, well, do you teach an eight-year-old to do the leg lift? Well, guess what, Jeff? Maybe if, as a coach, you have all, all these variations and styles you can try out with, you actually show him a, a model that he's naturally built to do. Rather than pitching being told, well, you know what? That's a good pitcher. Well, we're going to teach you how to pitch from the stretch because it's easier because you have more control that way. But guess what? Maybe somebody, if they learn how to pitch a like Clayton Kershaw style, you would have better control because that's how you're naturally wired to do it. You know what I mean? Or so or maybe you work with the tempos. So you get all these variations. I want to inspire coaches to realize you get all these variations and we got proof of it. We got success with it, right? So the earlier you get that player to find the model he was built to be like, guess what? They're gonna have more success. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be um better earlier at an earlier age and have more opportunity to play at higher levels and get more college scholarships because they figured that they, they got the recipe back when they were 10, 11, 12 years old. You follow me? Yeah, so in your experience when you're working with hitters, you'll try all these different things and I guess for lack of a better term, use the eye test a little bit to figure out what, uh, or and just the hitter's feedback as to uh, you try these different, just kind of sticking with the lead foot. If we, since we've been talking about that a little bit, or I've been talking about it a little bit, but just uh, you, you're going to have, you would have hitters try out uh, different things that from a, from a no stride to a leg lift and everywhere in between, and and sort of see what um, what works, what's natural, what feels the best, what creates the best timing. So you're you're trying all these things out with hitters. That was one of my questions I was going to have at some point. It was just sort of how you know from hitter to hitter what's going to work best. So for you, is it is it trial and error, just trying all these things and see what works? No. no it's almost trial and error. Almost. I, I, have to, I have to cut down the size. Let me give you an example of a player we're just working with in Arizona, right? I, I figured out early after watching his rounds – he he was trying to use a sudden tempo of getting ready, and it wasn't wasn't very good. But once in a while, 
when I would study him, he would slip in an earlier tempo and he would hit the ball good. So then I realized, okay, listen, now we're gonna, I'm going to teach you something here. I want you to change your tempo. So we go back to changing his tempo and he starts to hit the ball better, right? Another thing I noticed was this. I'm trying to, you know, initially make a, a fast impression on him to hit the ball better instantly. And it, and it usually works. He, what he was doing naturally was um, getting the toe down early, uh, a.k.a. the Anthony Rendon style, right? Ian Kinsler style. Rudy Amarillo style, right? He was naturally doing that, right? So when we coupled that with his tempo, boom, we had the real player. We had the real hitter. And this is inside of this, you know, uh, one sh short hitting session together. So having the background, having the knowledge of different hitting models, and because he was already doing that style, I wouldn't say let's do a leg lift. M maybe, you know, a couple weeks down the road, you can consider it. Hey, why don't we consider this? Maybe this may be more natural to you. You know what I mean? But unless the coach has that knowledge and the, and the experience and, and the research, like, hey, I've seen it here, I've seen it there, I've seen it here, I've seen it there. At first, for that guy, it doesn't work for this guy. You know what I mean? Then that's where you make a difference. And at no age, it doesn't matter. I think, I think the earlier the better. Don't you? Certainly, if they can, yes. If it's something that, that a player could do at an early age, why not do it there? Um, again, I just um, have heard hitting coaches talking about these things, and I and I know that some coaches, a lot of coaches, teach as as a player gets older, you you you'll introduce more complex things as they become better hitters. But for certainly for if a if a hitter's natural timing and tempo is going to happen with this style of hitting, I think certainly it benefits the hitter uh, to do that at as early age. As possible, Dave. When you talk about tempo, can you just give people a, a better a better idea or a visual of what you mean when you talk? We are talking about a hitter's tempo, fast tempo, slow tempo. Let me let me let me put that question on pause for a second because it, it, it's preparatory information. How I explain the tempo specifically, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's really intellectual property that I don't hear in our community and, it, and I hear I keep it close to the heart let me I'll think about time I want to explain it to you but let me give you an example of something about young kids and an experience my son had right about but going back to the kids about young age Jeff is it is it possible that some some young kids at ages 5, 6, and 7 can learn how to play Beethoven on a piano it is yes Yes, because we never know what the brains can do. And sometimes we can underestimate it. Like, what? How did that kid have learned to do that? Well, guess what? He had it inside of you, but you've never, never put him to the test. You know what I mean? Um, uh, is it possible for uh, young young kids to excel in things above their, their, their knowledge in, in school, above their grades? You know what I mean? Where they're in the fourth grade, but they could do sixth grade math, right? Absolutely. Well, well, likewise, sometimes our kids are ready for this information, but we undervalue what they know. We underestimate what they can take in. You know what I mean? And I never, I never underestimate it until I, I have a conversation with a young player. It can be six years old. These concepts can be explained to a six-year-old as it can be to a major player. That's how, that's how much we want to melt it down. So, yeah, I get it. So, it's so easy. I can do it while the pitch is coming. To me, so that's what that philosophy is. Now the tempo, 
Now, this is very sensitive to my heart about this, and I, I just want the audience to realize how important this is. So, um, my son's hitting tempo was a sudden tempo, right? He got drafted in 2016, and he played in the, um, the Appalachian League. He was blessed to uh, very, very, uh, very good. He won. He won the Appalachian Player of the Year, right? Which is voted from the, the, the coaches. You know what I mean? Appalachian Player of the Year. Um, he got into the league. He was for like the first month. He's batting over 400 right out of high school. And this is a player. It's like the New York Penn League. You got college players in there. You got young players in there. And you got guys still throwing 95. You know what I mean? Uh, 96 and faster. Um, he's got four, over 400 in his first month. So I'm going to try to watch some of his games and uh, drive down. And uh, he gets to the end of the season, and he starts to go in a tailspin. He's like 0 for 21, 0 for 22. He's not making good contact. He's popping up, grounding out. And, and I'm saying, I, I'm seeing it. I said, I said, son, your, your tempo is not the same. You're changing your tempo. Now, I don't know why he did this. He, he you know, explained to this, this day why he did it, but he changed his tempo. He went to a rut, right? He still finished with a, a over 300 batting average and won a player of the year, okay? Following year, he has Tommy John surgery. Misses 2017. 2018, uh, he's coming back, right? And I go down, I was going to make a trip down to Florida every weekend to, uh, to throw him batting practice because at the time, the Twins didn't have coaches down there and we couldn't even use a facility. The facility was like winterized. So we were taking batting practice, and we always like to take batting practice in on a field. Let's watch the outcomes, you know what I mean? So we're, and so we're hitting on a soccer field, Jeff. I got a, a screen in front of me, wide open area, hitting on like, like three or four soccer fields. So he's doing well, and spring training starts. And guess what happens? You know? Yeah. Someone in the organization gets in my son's ear. I says, so, Alex, you know what? I kind of think you should start getting your load on a little slower, a little earlier on, on, on pitches. So Alex does this. Come out of spring training. He's ready to go. Come out of spring training. I'm watching him. I was there for like a week. I'm thinking, son, what are you doing? You know what I mean? He's doing, he's doing this, the same process he had you know, two years ago or, or you know, back in 2016. You know, we started slowing earlier, and uh, he goes, "No, I'm not." Or, no, he said, "He said, yes, I am." It's what they want me to try out. He said, "Son, that's not you. You're sudden, sudden pace." So we had some friction between us, and he's not, he's not listening. So, but a week, no, but two weeks ago, by in the spring training, two and a half weeks, and he finally switched, and he finally took off hitting. He, said, he texted me, he says, "Papa, hit my, my first home run." He's back on track. He stayed on a sudden, sudden tempo. The entire season, he was blessed again to win the minor league player of the year for the Twins and comeback player for the year, minor league baseball, uh, baseball America. And it was awesome. I'm telling that story because tempo is so, so important in getting it right. If you don't have it right, man, it jacks up your vision. It jacks up, you know, how the brain's up receive information. But how can I explain tempo? It, it's, it's this. It, it's, when do you decide to get yourself loaded? That's it. And that's, you think that's something that's sort of, it is very much individualized. Some players are going to have success doing, doing it with a, with a fast tempo. Some players are going to have success doing a slower tempo, but you've got, as a coach, you've got to figure out how player A 
works, what works for them, and, and they, like in your son's case, not try to change you know, what's working. And I think there, there might be some trial and error there with coaches, obviously, when they're seeing players for the first time. But as a coach, you've really got to figure out whether this player's got success, having success with a fast or slow tempo. Is there, um, is that something, I guess I'll just ask you this kind of question again, is that a trial and error thing as a coach and a player to kind of try them both out and just and see which one feels and looks natural, see which one produces results? Yes. Yes, you trial and error. But what helped us is, you know, we we understood the common denominator. We understood when when his eyes had had, had to move. You know what I mean? And get in position. Um, but then it, 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 it like trial and error. It goes back to like uh, understanding. I'm trying to reach this player's natural athletic DNA. What is his natural DNA telling me? Not something that's forced on him. Well, I'm going to force him to do this and, and you know, uh, put my fingerprint on my stamp on him. He only got better because I made him better. My fingerprint, you know what I mean? It's about the player. You know, and all, most coaches look out there. If, you know, we're in this because, you know, we really get satisfaction with seeing development. I, mean, I, I know I do. I mean, I love to see the, the development. I love to see that, that, that player's face and they have success and they're hitting doubles and they're hitting balls good. Man, I, I, I relish in that, and that's that, that's what motivates me and inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing. So to, to, to make it happen, i got to study something that's not inside the box. This is outside the box. This is an internet common community. No one's discussing this, but I'm telling you, Jeff, it is G-O-L-D. It is gold. This is really interesting stuff. Dave, I, I think we have probably need to wrap this up in the next few minutes. But let me just ask you if there's anything that uh, anything else that we that we need to know, I guess, as we're kind of wrapping this up. Anything that you want to say to to finish this up on your end? I know there are some things we didn't get into. That that hour went by pretty quickly. Uh, but is there anything that you just want to touch on briefly before we before we end this that you think we need to talk yes. about? Yes. Yes, I do. Um I'm a baseball coach. Okay? I'm, I'm really disguised as one. My, my, what, I really, what I really am as I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I read the Bible. I'm disguised as a baseball coach, right? <laughs> and I want to inspire uh, the listeners and the audience out there to, you know, consider this. Change your mind and give Jesus Christ a try because he's ready to bless your life. We all have to go through trial and difficulties, you know what I mean? And that, that can say that following Jesus can be an easier life. You know, it may become even harder. But you know what? It's going to help you to get through the darknesses of your life and, and the periods where you, you get depressed. You know what I mean? And um, you have trials and, and challenges. He carries you through this, those hardships. One thing we, we can realize: there's a spiritual battle out there for your soul, for my soul, for your spirit, for for all of our, our, our souls. And um, we don't want to get the enemy a foothold. And uh, just want to lift up Jesus Christ. One one last thing. And I tell my kids this, please read your Bible every day. Even if you read one Bible verse, right? And throughout the day, three times a day, in the morning, afternoon, in the evening, remember what you read. Because it's going to affect your life more than you realize because you're coming into an encounter with experiences. And sometimes, you know what? By the end of the day, you realize that thought, that carried me through the decision I had to make today. How I respond to that person. So, just want to you know, inspire everyone to uh, to read the Bibles. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dave. We don't hear that enough. Uh, and, and whether or not you know whatever people's position is, I just I appreciate people 
that are that are willing to say that and um, and that are willing to share their beliefs. And I, I appreciate it very much. That that the whole hitting discussion. This was very good. This is this is really interesting stuff. And certainly f- for people that want to dive into to more, you can reach Dave. Um, you can find him pretty easily online. Dave Kirilov is his name. Uh, again, his the his website is languageofhitting.com. I don't know what I said at the beginning, but languageofhitting.com. And you can find Dave. He's got on his website, on his uh, his his Twitter account. If you reach out to him, he certainly will respond to you. And Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but you uh, you'll schedule Zoom hitting sessions with people, individuals. You will you will schedule on site hitting uh, sessions with individuals and with teams, right? Where you will actually travel to people, uh, for people that want to work with you. Basically, if they get a hold of you, there's a way to do it, even in this environment we're living in right now in December 2020. Yes, and I have an online hitting program where it's a a library of videos that I have made that discuss specifically uh, skills of uh, timing and spatial alertness that they can work with their players. This is awesome. a lot of college coaches have already subscribed to this and using it. I get feedback, and I still work with coaches. They send me videos for their players and make sure that the, the information is implemented correctly. Really good stuff. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really enjoyable podcast. And um, just appreciate all the info you shared. And I, I hope that people will take a chance to look at what you've got and, and what you're doing. I think it's really interesting stuff in the hitting world and, and different from what you're hearing most places. So, Dave, I appreciate it again. Just thank you for all your time. You got it. Thanks, Jeff.